The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. And if you're with us today, of course, inside your program is the loop where you can find more information about events like the men's breakfast coming up. Anything and everything, we want to connect with you. Also yep. follow our social media channels on Instagram, on Facebook. Yep. We want to connect. Yeah. But right now we're going to connect with our teaching pastor. That's going to be Pastor Steve. Yes. So grab that program, some notes, a pen, a pencil, a Bible, of course. And let's kick it on over and we'll hear from Pastor Steve. All right. See ya. Make it rain. Make it rain, please, in California. Make it rain. You also know, like, when somebody says make it rain, they're usually playing blackjack, blackjack, no, sorry, blackjack, uh, slot machine, crap, something like that. And it's make it rain when they roll the dice or something like that. They really want to see uh, something dramatic and powerful and amazing happen. That's what's happening here in the book of Acts. The people in the early church, probably close to 20,000 people, all of a sudden opposition has come up and they're being shut down by the authorities, being threatened and intimidated. And they get back there and they go, God, make it rain. Pour out your spirit. Be dramatic. Be, be powerful. They pray for power and courage. We talked about that last week. If you weren't here, go listen to it. Watch it. It's on our website uh, and kind of catch up there. They pray, God, make it rain. And I wonder, when God answers that prayer, when we sing, well, when we sing that song we just sang here today, Pour Your Spirit Out, that's, that's the way of God saying, God, make it rain. Be, do something big, dramatic, and powerful. And yet, how, what does that really look like? When the Spirit of God does, shows up into something big, dramatic, and amazing in a small group, in my family, in the collective life of our church. We're going to take a look at that. If you have a Bible, find the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles underneath the seats around you. If you are uh, with us here in person today, you can also go to uh, just Google, uh, join our free Wi-Fi that's here, Crosspoint Guest, and Google Acts 4 in the New Living Translation or whatever one you, you like. You'll be able to follow along well enough. But... Uh, some of the verses will be up here on the screen. We don't put most of them up because we don't want you to, the screen's not going to be there when all hell breaks loose in your life. And I don't want you calling me at three o'clock in the morning when all hell breaks loose. I want you to get your own Bible out and remember some stuff. So bring your Bible, use our Bible. If you don't have a Bible, take that one home and then make that be the one you use. Acts chapter four, look at verse 31. In Acts 4.31, it says, they had prayed for courage and power and all that big dramatic stuff to happen. Verse 31, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them 
and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed uh, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Jesus, today as we open this up here, God, pour your spirit out. And then God, help us to see how you're pouring your spirit out all the time back 2,000 years ago and now here in the year 2021 at this kingdom outpost here in the Inland Valley at Cross Point Church. Just do what you want to do here today. Amen. They pray for power and courage. And instead of um, products of power and courage being dispensed, you know what gets dispensed? Not, not products, but a person. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what, you want God to change your life and do all this stuff? You want God to fix this and do that? He says, I'm not going to give you products. I'm not going to give you services. I'm going to give you the Spirit. And they were filled with the Spirit. This is God going, pour your Spirit out, make it rain. What did that look like when God pours his Spirit out? And what Luke does here is what he does, we're, we run us to be in the book of Acts probably until 2025, the rate we're going. Um, but but Luke takes some time here, like he does periodically in the book of Acts, and quickly summarizes, okay, all this stuff has happened, these events have happened, now let me summarize kind of what's going on right here, right now. And he describes now what it looks like when God has made it rain, when his just big, dramatic, uh, supernatural, spiritual things are happening in a church. And you'll see in your note sheet today, it says, the fruit that grows. And I was going to talk about the fruit that grows when the Spirit flows, when the Spirit's coming out. But praying together with our prayer team today, in the middle of it, all of a sudden it occurred to us, talking about it, praying about it, God just moved in my heart. So cross out on your note sheet, it's on the back of your program there, cross out the fruit that grows and write the words that will be up here, in plain sight. Because sometimes we're waiting for God to show up and do something big and amazing and dramatic and God goes, oh, I am and it's right there. You've, there's a famous murder mystery and stories about stuff that's just hiding, but it's not hiding. It's hiding in plain sight. It's right there. And we can often miss it because we're looking for something bigger and dramatic out there. And God goes, well, sometimes the big dramatic stuff is way different than what you thought it was going to be. And then we're going to take a look at this. And what's beautiful about this now, I'm going to look at six different kinds of ways that God's spirit flows in dramatic, amazing, supernatural signs of when God makes it rain and the kind of fruit, the kind of outcome that happens uh, when that happens. Um, and a lot of this in the book of Acts, I've, I've told you this before, those of you who've gone to church while may have heard people as they talk about the book of Acts say it's descriptive, not prescriptive which means that everything that's being described there doesn't mean that this is the way it's always going to be or always even supposed to be. But as we describe this today, I'm looking at it going, dang, man, if our church could be like that, sign us up right now for the things we're going to look at right here, right now. Even if no big, huge, amazing, dramatic kind of fire from God lands and falls on people, what we get, it's just beautiful and amazing. It says here, uh, number one, you might want to put a little number one next to this in your Bible. It says they, they preach the word of God with boldness. And as they preach the word of God with boldness, uh, what they had, number one, is boldness. They preached and lived with boldness. Now understand something here. Their circumstances haven't changed. The authorities have not come and apologized. There was no uh, Christian Civil Liberties Union 
uh, law firm that went out and sued the authorities to shut down the persecution. There was no First Amendment rights for Christians. In fact, there were amendment rights to wipe out and stomp out Christianity. Nothing's changed in their circumstances. In fact, I told you last week, it's bad for them right now, and it's going to go really bad really quick. Their circumstances have not changed. They pray for courage, and it says they preach and live with boldness. See, here's the deal. When it comes to boldness and courage, you only need courage when fear is present. If you're not scared, you're not being courageous. That's just being human. When I'm scared about something, you only need to be supernatural courage from God when I'm scared out of my mind. And to act out in boldness, even when everything in me is going, ah, what's going to happen here? So number one, what they see is, is great boldness. And then it goes on to say, I'll put a number two next to verse 32. It says, they were all, the, all the believers were united in heart and mind. Write down there, number two, radical unity. Radical unity. Adversity can galvanize unity. Some of you uh, remember 9-11. Remember, like, what, maybe the month after 9-11? <laughs> For sure, there was just crazy unity in America. All those crazy things we squabbled about and fought. Man, we were the United States of America. Boom. And we were unified. Now, that lasted about 10 minutes. Because it's not always just our circumstances that'll do it. And adversity, sometimes, though, that's what happens, is you need adversity to bring that out. But what they're saying here, it wasn't just the adversity brought out, it was the Spirit that brought it out. It was an outpouring of God's Spirit, of crazy, radical, amazing uh, unity. Um, and it says all the believers were unified, one heart and one mind. But, see, when I hear the idea of unity... Some of us, because of the world we work and live in, and because we're too tuned into social media and what we think unity is all about, usually it comes from sometimes like other kinds of uh, Eastern mysticism religions, not putting those things down, but we think it's, oh, we're all one. Let's just stand in a circle and hum. One and hum. One and hum. Uh, <laughs> Flip, keep something here in Acts. We're going to come back here. Go to a few pages to the right in your Bible. We're going to go past Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and, and go to Ephesians. Uh, because Paul is going to take some time in Ephesians and he's going to say, he's going to build up. He's going to describe what unity looks like, but he's going to build up and say the big, the reason we do that is because he's going to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. He said, because there's one God and one faith, and one Lord, and one Jesus, and one God, and one. He's saying, we're one, we're one, but we're not the same. We're not the same. So what, that, what he's telling us there is unity, write this down maybe, unity does not mean uniformity. When it says they were all united in heart and mind, there was one spirit about them, there was great diversity in the early church. We're going to see in a couple chapters, the unity didn't always last a long time. There's some crazy, weird, sketchy stuff that happened even inside the church early, early on. Um, but look what Paul says here. When he says, talk, talks about the importance of unity, look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. Here's what unity looks like. Always be humble and gentle. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make 
every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. He's going to tell us one of the key characteristics of unity is not just be one and hum and just hope everything just melts away. No, in the great diversity and how people push up against you, humble all the time. Paul's going to tell us, he writes here to the, to the church in Ephesus, he also writes a, a letter to the church in Philippi called Philippians, and he talks about, hey, imitate Jesus. And he says, well, you imitate Jesus is always be humble, and he says, considering everybody else better than yourself. Now, you hear that today, you have been discipled, your children have been educated, and media is, is educating you and discipling you to do just the opposite of that. To think of yourself as better than everybody else. Don't anybody put you down. And we, we live in a work, that's called America in 2021. I can prove it. Just look at social media. You know what social media is saying is? I'm better than all you fools. I can raise better kids. I have a better job. I, my political views are better than yours. My, my quiche is whatever you're doing out there. It's all about we're better. We're more amazing than you are. He says, don't do that. And what he's going to tell us here, I know it sounds weird to say because it's like, is this low self-esteem? Oh, no, no. It's going to tell us in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, read it this week. He's going to say that Jesus, though he was God, knew exactly who he was. But it said instead of, instead of hanging on to his rights and entitlements as God, he laid his rights and entitlements aside and made himself nothing. That's what it means to consider others better than yourself. Everything that you have a right to and you're entitled to, you lay it down all the time. That right there, if I could get couples to do that in their marriage, I would never have to see anybody in counseling again. Because that's all the trouble in marriage, is people are holding on, I have a right to this, I'm entitled to this, all this kind of nonsense and silliness. You lay all the side, the side, when both people do it, it's beautiful and amazing. That's free marriage counseling for those of you whose marriages are kind of squirrely right now. He goes on to say, um, he says, always be humble and gentle. Now, some of you that are here today, I know some of you have personality. By your very personalities, this is not a lot of work for you. You're honestly just, you're, you, by your personality, you're more gentle. I am not, by my personality, more gentle. And those of you that know me go, oh, big surprise. Gosh, it wasn't that funny. Um, I can tend to be more, yeah, er, thank you. I can be more a harsh jerk than I am be always be humble and gentle. I'm just telling you that right now. Paul tells Timothy when he writes, he tells, hey, Timothy, even when you're dealing with harsh jerks, he says, always be humble and gentle with them. Even people that are idiots and jerks, just stop. Be, be gentle with them. Uh, always be humble and gentle. And then he says, be patient with each other. You know, um, some of you have prayed for patience before, right? You pray for patience one time. Because you only need patience when there's people around you that are making you very impatient. If everything's going good, you need no amount of patience at all. That's just easy. It's when people are driving you crazy and frustrated. And then I love it too. He says, making, this is what unity looks like now. Radical unity looks like humility, gentleness, patience. And he says, Making allowance for each other's faults. Look around the room here for a second. Seriously, look around. There's people in here that are just disasters of human beings, even here today. You're going to get in a group with these people. You're going to get to know these people and go, what's wrong with this church? 
We have some tools here, man. I'm just telling you, we just do. I'm one of them. Trust me. He's making allowance for each other's faults. What that means is that from time to time, there's going to be people who are going to frustrate you, annoy you, bug you, bother you. There's going to be some stupid people in your family, in the workplace, in the small group that you're a part of. And if you're in a small group and you have a circle of friends right now and you go, well, I don't have anybody like that in my small group, guess what? It might be you. (laughs) In fact, it probably is. Making allowance for each other's fault. And this is why he says, make every effort. This is at times gritty, grimy, nasty stuff in the church. This is not, oh, we're all one. Let's sing a song in the field. No, unity takes gritty, grimy, hold on, we are going to make this happen. And Luke says this is one of the first characteristics of a church where the Spirit of God is dramatically, supernaturally showing up. It's not some crazy, amazing worship experience, not some crazy, amazing fire falling from heaven and all that stuff. Sometimes it's just people who are very different politically, economically, socially, mentally, intellectually, all that. We're, we're one. We're, we're, we're not the same, but we're one. Let's get back to Acts. Acts chapter 4 again. It says they were all united in heart and mind. And look at this here. In my Bible I have, and they felt that I, I bolded this text. What they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. This has to do with financial stuff, but write this down. Number three is stewardship. That with their money, what stewardship says I'm going to give you two things. They'll be up here on the screen here in just a second. Number one is, what I own is not my own. And the second part of what stewardship is, I will not be owned by what I own. I think it'll be up on the screen, maybe not. I don't know if I got that in the, in the media or not. I won't be owned by what I own. Uh, what I own is not my own. In other words, I may have worked hard for it. I may have been lucky for it, but ultimately every thin dime that I have, every bit of any economic anything that I have is not mine ultimately. It came from the hand of God. There's some great verses I want you to see. Uh, so keep something here in Acts and go back to a Deut- book called Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book, what we call the, of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 8. These verses will be up on the screen because I just, I'm telling you, this, is, this, this right here speaks to 21st century Southern California, America better than anything else I know in the Bible about how finances and money should work when it comes to stewardship. In the first part of it, here's what's happening. The people of Israel have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and God's not going to bring them their promised land. He says, look, you're going to get there. Man, I'm going to make it rain. It's going to be a beautiful, amazing, economically, spiritually, mentally. You're going to have homes. and you've been, It's going to be beautiful and amazing. But he says, look here at verse... Um, Look at verse 10. I'm not sure where it's going to pick up on the screen, but I'll start with verse 10 of Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm sorry. Deuteronomy 8, verse 10. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. And here it is. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty... You do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes... 
to live in and have an RV out uh, in the side yard and granite countertops in your house. And when your flocks and herds have become very large and your 401k has multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from a rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. And I have this verse underlined in my Bible. So highlight this, circle this, arrows to this. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I've achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to you, uh, to your ancestors with an oath. Stewardship says what I own is not my own. You're going, but I, nobody gave this to me. This is, for those of us that are conservative and Republican, and this, this just right here just cuts the feet out of the idea of I did this myself. Privilege? No privilege here. I worked hard for this. Yeah, you might have worked hard for it. Who let you be, have a body that could work hard and a mind that could be educated so you could read and understand? Who left you be born in a place where you had adequate health care and access to all kinds of stuff? You did, you, did, you did nothing to choose how you're born and where you're born. He says, so never think that I did this all myself. What I own, that means everything you have, it's not mine ultimately. Not Look at me for a second. Not just the the bit that I give to God here and there. All of it. Which means if it's his, that means I'm a steward of it. I, I don't keep this for myself. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that you did not receive? Jesus will tell us, find the book of Matthew here, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, it's the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 6, verse 24. He talks about like this. He kind of echoes real quickly what uh, Moses says in Deuteronomy, Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And some of us go, I bet I could. You know, I could, I could have a lot of money and stuff like that. I, I, I bet I could. What, what Jesus is telling us here is, when it comes to your money, don't make the mistakes that we tend to make with our money. We either tend to be um, consumers, getting more and more stuff and more and more stuff, and sometimes we're such consumers that we're spending all this money, especially if we've been, achieved some economic success in our life, we get more and more and more, and sometimes the drive for more and more and more means you go into credit card debt at 22, 24, 28%. So we're in crazy debt. The other side of it is that those of you that took the day, have taken Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, those of you go, well, we don't do that. But we save, and we have a 401k. And if you're not careful, you can take spending or saving too far, and you can become hoarders and just keep getting and more and more and more and more and more. And Jesus says what you're doing, both, both of you are fools. Spending to the extreme or saving to the extreme. He says you cannot serve both God and money. It just doesn't work. And so there's this idea of stewardship that what I own is not my own. And then it's, I'm not going to be owned by what I own. I'm, I'm going I'm to let 
let this work for me in kingdom purposes. Let me just give you right now what stewardship is. And if you've ever taken like Crown Financial, Financial Peace University, or all those courses, take those. We offer those here from time to time. I'm going to give you Financial Peace University in, in like 30 seconds right now. Ready? Um, live on less than you make, number one. Live on less. It won't be up on the screen because I forgot to put it up there. Live on less than you make. You can't live on more than you make, and you can't live on exactly what you make. Uh, number two, uh, get out of debt or stay out of debt. The most spiritual decision you make with your money is to get or stay out of debt, period. And then number three, uh, give and save off the top and off the leftovers. There's verses there on your note sheet, and if you go inside the note sheet, it's our summer devotionals. we got a bunch of verses in there that you can look at, look at about what it means to live with generosity with my money, but you can, look at me for a second. I'll kind of, oh, I would love to be generous with my money, but I just don't have any. So you can't, you'll never get to a place of being able to give generously until you recognize, first of all, it's not just the two, five, eight, ten percent that's God's, it's all God's. It's all His. So He makes the call on how I do my money. And there's a whole lot more we could say about that. And here's what I want to tell you today, too. Some of you are going, well, we're newer to the church, or I think this, well, how's the church's budget and money? I have dreamed of this day since I started the church 17 years ago. To be able to speak a message on money and go, our church is doing just fine financially right now. This is not, how do we get more from you? It's not about that right now. Now, the more you give, the more we can do ministry and stuff here. But this is not about that right now at all. This is what I want for you, not what I want from you. Stewardship. Boldness, radical unity, stewardship. Number four, it says, getting back to Acts. Acts chapter four, it tells us there in verse 33, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Number four is when the spirit of God is working supernaturally, Jesus and the gospel are central. And the idea that they testified to the resurrection they were also, what's implied in all that, of course, is you can't have a resurrection without a crucifixion. Nobody gets raised from the dead until they're dead. So all this is put together. He says, look, I just know myself here at Crosspoint and been part of churches and talked to men and women who have been part of churches. It's very, very, very easy for the church to get off track and get off focus, not in some terrible, awful, evil stuff, but just to shift the focus from Jesus and the gospel to just some morality stuff. And there's some issues that in, in the culture about ways we should vote and how we should raise up people to look at justice kind of issues or morality kinds of issues. And look, both sides of the political spectrum do this. And we'll say the church should be more about that. And we certainly want the gospel to inform all that. But we're going to tell you we're going to stay relentlessly focused on Jesus and the gospel because the law has no power to save anybody. And all of our social good deeds on the left and the right cannot ever save somebody's soul. He's going to tell us, look, keep focused on Jesus and the gospel. There's power in that. There's power in that. And it's so easy to get off track. That's why every week here we give you a chance. Uh, the band will be up here in a couple of minutes again. We're going to do a couple songs to wrap up the service. And during that time, people get up and walk around, not just to stretch, stretch their feet, but we go to communion stations in the four corners of the room. It's bread and juice. That's what communion is. Communion is the Eucharist. It's the symbol of the body and the blood of Jesus. And every single week, except for Christmas and Easter weeks, 
we give you a chance to come and remember Jesus. To say, if we're talking about finances and money, or talking about sex and marriage, if we're talking about anger and control freaks and difficult people, we're going to get you eventually back to Jesus in the gospel. That's what we do every week. It's not just a religious thing to do here. It's to get you back to Jesus every single time. And here's why this is good news for you today. You might be in a situation right now that feels hopeless to you. You might know some people that are in situations that feel hopeless in their marriage, their finances, their health, with their kids, whatever it might be. 2,000 years ago, the creator of the universe is laying, not struggling for life on a bed in a hospital. He's dead in a grave and it's still over the rock. It's over. It's finished. That's as hopeless because at that point, if that, if that stays that way, the universe implodes on itself. If the creator of the universe is dead in a tomb, but three days later, the stone was rolled away and the tomb is empty. And look at me, if the tomb is empty, anything's possible. That's why the resurrection is so important. Not just, well, we believe Jesus rose from the dead. Yada, yada. No, it's because, man, that means there's that real power today in the most hopeless, awful, evil things you can imagine right now. With your kids, your finances, your health, whatever, if the tomb is empty, anything's possible. Now, don't miss this for a second. Anything's possible doesn't mean my outcome, my, my desired outcome is going to be possible because sometimes God's going to go, that's a mess that you made or somebody else made in your life. I'm going to reshape and reform that into something beautiful and amazing you never saw coming. So it may not be your outcome, but it'll be beautiful and amazing what God will do there. It tells us there too, I could keep going on number four because it's just so beautiful. But number five, it tells us here, God's great blessing and favor was upon them all. I love there too. I have it capitalized there. Not just God's favor and blessing because you would expect that, right, in church? We all go, yeah, I love some God's. How many people want God's great favor and blessing? Not just like a little bit of it and like a little dose of it, but like an outbreak of just... Pour it out there. You know why I think God's great favor and blessing is on them all? Because there's boldness, unity, stewardship. Jesus and the gospel stay central, and God is just stoked about this. God's favor and blessing is just poured out on them without measure. This is what Jesus wants to do and loves to do with you. Beth, who oversees student ministries here, she's sitting right here in the house today, sitting right there down front here. I got a chance to be. Our kids had to come back early from camp this week. Because of heat and thunder and lightning storms, thunder is crazy. Zany stuff. We'll share the story sometime later with you. But they did like wrap up the camp thing here, right here on Thursday evening. And she got up and shared a message about man, God wants you to see He has life for you and life to the full. He wants great favor and blessing for you, not just spiritual, religious favor and blessing. Look, every other religion in the world can give you favor and blessing. God says, I got supernatural stuff, I got great favor. And blessing for you. And then number six, it says there, there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. And then they give an example of Barnabas who actually did that. Number six is generous giving to help others. It says everyone's needs were met. Now, here's the deal. Over the years, people have used this. I think they have misapplied this to say everybody was equal financially. There were no needy people among them, so there's no rich, there's no poor, there's just like this. The truth is it doesn't say that. It says everybody's needs were met. Some people's needs were met in greater degrees 
than other. Um, but it wasn't like they put all the money in one big pool and said, we'll just give it out in equal distribution. Now, there may be there's some communities of faith over the years in all places all over the world that have taken this and they've applied it that way, and it's been beautiful, amazing things happen. But I don't think what's going on here. I think what's going on here is there's some people in the church that are wealthy and some people in the church that are more middle class and people that are poor. Some people are stuck here in Jerusalem because they came to Jerusalem for Passover and Pentecost. They become Christians, and the Christians, early Christians thought, well, Jesus said he's coming back again, and he, every time he said he's coming back again, we'd see him again a few days later. They don't know long. He's going to be gone for a while, but they all stayed there in Jerusalem. It's going to happen any day. Well, there's no ATM cards. There's no ability to go access money to banks. So, like, people are out of money. Like, how do we? So, people had needs. They just sold property and helped them. And I, and I believe here, too, this is me speculating just a bit here. But you'll see here an example of one guy who did this. Look at verse 37. An important little article of speech here, that, that article, parts of speech. Verse 37, it says, he sold a field he owned. Didn't say he sold the house he owned and gave up everything. He sold not the field he owned, but a field he owned. You know what that implies? He probably has more fields. He sold one of the fields he had and brought the money there. I always tell people like this too. Man, in order to reach homeless people, you have to reach some people with homes to help people out. This is what, what, what's going on in the church right here. Like, look, we're going to we'll take our wealth and we're going to sacrifice it like crazy for the good of all kinds of people. There's generous giving to help others so there's no needs. Now, one of the questions that come up with, comes up with that is, so, okay, so when are we supposed to help? When people come to me and want me to help, as a, in my family, when people at the workplace, people in the community, even we as a church, when are we supposed to help? And so I want this to be, to give you quick four questions here. They'll be really, really, really fast. There's verses there you can look up. We're not going to look at all of them today. About questions you should ask, especially those of you that tend to be more cynical about we shouldn't help anybody, or we help everybody because you're just super, oh, we should help everybody here. Both of you need to hear, there needs to be, a, be guided, here's what it is, be guided with both your mind and your heart on this. We tend to be guided by one or the other. Both of them are super important here. And this is for you, not just for when you should you give help, but also when should you ask for help? If you're going to be at a place where we're struggling and we need something and we come to friends or family or the church, when should you ask for help? Number one, is this a need or a want? There's verses there from 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'd encourage you to read that on your own this week. 1 Timothy 5 kind of lays this out. And it's, the, the truth is, in your family, in churches like ours, I get that your kids maybe want to football, drama, dance, all that kind of stuff. You may not be able to help out with that. In some cases, we tell people, look, you drive too nice of a car, you've got to sell your car because we're not making a car payment that's, you know, you make 48K a year and you have a $600 a month car payment and your things are crazy and, yeah. We're going to say, look, we can't help with everything. Is this a need or is it a want? The support of us should be for the most basic necessity of living. Number two, have they done what they can 
Or have I done what I can before I trying to get everybody else to help me with money? I want you to see these verses over in the book of 2 Thessalonians. I think it'll be up here on the screen, so you can turn to it if you want and find it. It's a great verse. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says this. Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica. And you'll see here, he does this frequently because the church was so generous and giving that people all of a sudden started to go, hey, you know what? Just sit back passively and just, they got to help me. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. It says this, even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work, and meddling in other people's businesses. You know why you're meddling in other people's businesses? Because you need to get busy doing some business. Not sitting around going, help me, help me, help me. Get out there and get tired. This is especially true for young men. Young men need to be exhausted and, and tired or they get into trouble. Moms... Your, your, your children, especially the boys and men, need to go to bed tired every night. Not sitting around playing video games 17 hours a day, eating Cheetos and drinking Gatorade in your basement. I know that wasn't very gentle, was it? So don't let them do that, please. <laughs> we command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own, own, earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never take, get tired of doing good. So have they done what they can? Number three, what about their immediate family? What about your immediate family? The scriptures make it very, very clear. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 3 and 4 says, Take care of anybody who has no one else to take care of her. You could take, take care of anybody who's struggling financially. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God to give her state. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. He's going to say, hey, family is the first line of defense. Look at me. Not the government, and not the church, and not a nonprofit. Family should be the first line. Now, again, sometimes family can or can't, and Sometimes parents, you got to go, look, I'm not helping right now because you're just going to keep being irresponsible. So you have to put all, let all these dynamics work in play. And then number four, um, are they helping others? 1 Timothy 5, uh, 5 through 10 talks about the idea that those who are supported financially by the church should find ways to give in other ways if they can't give financially to help other people. That's good for those of you that are going to be at a place of needing to receive some financial help is go, look, don't just be a sponge. And just take, take, take. It'll be good for you to find ways to give in other ways if you can't do it financially with your time and your talent. The band's going to come up right now. Don't, we're not done yet. Don't put stuff away. <laughs> I'm sorry, don't put stuff away. I need to be more gentle. Here's what's fascinating. They say, pour your spirit out. And, and they say, God, give us power for the dramatic signs and miracles. That's the prayer at the end of Acts chapter 4. You know what Luke does to describe here? Is there any supernatural dramatic miracles that happen there? Anybody get healed of cancer? Anybody, any big dramatic, like, amazing, you know, you know what happens? It occurred to me this week for the first time that we're oftentimes looking for the big bam, zap, boom, wow, when God's going to pour out his spirit, do something big and dramatic and supernatural. And sometimes the big dramatic supernatural thing 
is going to be hiding right there in plain sight. That maybe the bigger miracle than someone healed of cancer or a cripple healed of being paralyzed, bigger than than even my marriage that seems impossibly lost and done and dead right now being restored, maybe the bigger miracle in God's people is these crazy fools who are so different walk in radical unity and they're bold in their faith. And they learn to do their money in a way that honors God, not the way that honors the culture. They learn to keep Jesus central in everything they do. And I think maybe the biggest miracles are not the ones that we're seeing because it's fascinating. Luke is going to describe other miracles here, but right here in Acts, he doesn't describe anything we'd expect to describe in terms of big supernatural miracles. He talks about unity, stewardship, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, what our community needs to see, see and hear is not just bam, zap, <laughs> miracles. Maybe they go, dang. People that voted for Trump and voted for Biden can sit in the same small group together and not hate each other and not post about each other. People that are economically so different than each other and see things so differently on the Second Amendment or on Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter can be so different on that. That's a hunkin' miracle, man. That doesn't exist anywhere out there in the world that we live in right now, in case you hadn't noticed. What if it could exist here? Maybe that's the miracle that God wants to do hiding in plain sight. We're going to sing some songs right now. Our prayer team is in the back of the house. That if you need prayer for anything, they're back there. They'll pray for you. We have communion in the four corners of the room. It's the, like I already explained to you. The bread represents the, the body of Jesus. The juice represents his blood. It's a way to keep our focus on Jesus. It says, look, 2,000 years ago, what you did there made all this possible. Not my behavior and my The stuff I did in the last 48 hours doesn't cancel the gospel. It didn't earn if I was good and did amazing things. I didn't earn this. I don't deserve it. We're going to sing a song about that called Reckless Love Today, the amazing reckless love of Jesus. So Jesus, today as we celebrate you, as we sing to you, as we remember you in communion, God, pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.